0: Thank you for joining us today for this life-changing message from River of Life. If you are ever in our area, we would love for you to join us. For more information, visit us at rolcrawferville.com. That's rolcrawferville.com. Or download our app in the App Store under ROL Crofferville. Now, let's join Derek Gray
1: as he teaches from the Word of God. Good morning, River of Life. So this morning, uh, as you've heard us allude to uh, several times back in 2023, uh, River of Life, in the next few months and years, we're going to be moving to a very slowly and very carefully moving to a new model of leadership and a new model of ministry uh, in this church. And um, uh, what we want to do, and we're going to base this model. It's called the Fivefold Ministry, and you base this off of Ephesians four eleven through sixteen, and uh, specifically verse eleven, where it says, "He Christ gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers." Those are the five gifts that Scripture tells us it gave that He gave to the church. And as I said, we're going to start to move very slowly and very carefully this year in this direction. Now, we wanted to begin uh, by teaching the church what this is all about, and the whole idea was starting Wednesday night, the 10th, which is this Wednesday night, uh, I'm going to start a short series, uh, uh, probably about six, seven weeks, uh, on Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, and uh, what we decided, though, was wh- why, not w- why wait till Wednesday, why not go ahead and start it today. So what you're going to see this morning is the first lesson in that series. Now I've entitled this the local church and you're going to see why here in just a moment. Now there are, by the way, this is going to be different. Okay. This is what we do on Wednesday night. For those of you that come on Wednesday night, this is nothing new. Uh, If you're not coming on Wednesday night, this is what we do. This is how we this is how we do it. Now, there are three things this morning that I want to try and, and accomplish. First of all, I want to try to entice you, uh, invite you to come back on Wednesday night. Uh, we are going to, starting Wednesday, we're going to dive right in. We're going to look at all five gifts. We're going to look at the, the, the purpose of those gifts. We're going to look at the fruit or the results that you should see uh, in this type of, of ministry. So I want to invite you to come back because this isn't just about... Uh, the staff, or it's, it's about every single one of us doing their, their part. It's the whole point of this. Uh, so what I'm going to do this morning is I want to kind of introduce this uh, fivefold ministry model. Okay, I'm not going to get into the details. Like I said, we'll start that on Wednesday night. But I just want to kind of give you the, the basics. And as I do, I'm hoping to answer some of your questions. Now, I underline the word some because obviously... Uh, On the Wednesdays, we're going to get into all the details. We're going to look at each individual gift. Um, But I I want to at at least answer some of those this morning. And here's the first one, and that is why. Why in the world are we doing this? There's an old adage, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I'm sure some of you are wondering, why would you do this? If you look around, we've got a growing campus Uh, We've got a a thriving children's ministry, a thriving youth ministry. We've got uh, life groups. We're running 600 plus on Sunday mornings. Uh, We've got an incredible staff. Uh, Hopefully you got some halfway decent teaching here on Wednesday nights. Why in the world would we do this? And here's why. Because we are, as a church leadership here, we are incredibly aware of the need to build something that's going to last. Amen. See, we want something, this is beyond us. We want something that's going to be here for my grandchildren and your grandchildren and our great-grandchildren and even beyond. And I'm going to be honest with you. The model that is used in the, in the majority of churches today and the model that we have in our church today is not conducive to last It's working great now because of the people we have, but people, folks, change. Leadership changes. If you're going to build something to last, you've got to have a model that's scriptural, not traditional. That's where we are. That's where we're going. Now, let me tell you, there are going to be challenges ahead. It seems like the church today, if you're familiar with verse 11, it seems like the modern church has kind of drawn a line in the middle of this verse. And what I mean by that is that it, it, those last three evangelists, pastors, and sh- uh, teachers, everybody, nobody has a problem with those, right? Everybody agrees that those, those are awesome. Everybody agrees that, that, that those are gifts that are active in the church today. It's those first two that are the problem. It's those first two that represent the, the challenge. And my guess is this morning, as you guys look at those first two, that some of you are, it makes you nervous. And some of you, it makes you excited, <laughs> right? You're kind of caught between. And there's a lot of questions about those two. And it really, and I'm going to answer them as many as I possibly can on the next couple of Wednesday nights. But it really boils down to this. Are those gifts still active in the church today? And, and, and let me tell you, Bible-believing Christians, can come down on both sides of that. So these are going to be the first two things we look at uh, in the coming Wednesday nights. And I'm going to, I will promise you something. If you come, I will answer questions for you, and you will learn things you never knew, and you'll understand things you never knew. Just come. Just come, and let's open Scripture and look at what it has to say. And I promise you, you'll walk out of here thinking, oh, I get it, right? So we're going to do that. But here's, I want to make a point this morning. For those of you that are nervous, and those of you that are excited, I want to make a point. First of all, I want you to understand something. There always has been, and there always will be, men, women, people in the church that pretend to be something they're not. Okay? It's always been that way. It should not surprise us that in the church today, there are men who are say they're apostles, and they're not. Look at 2 Corinthians. This is in the early church. This is a church that was founded by a true apostle. And Paul writes and says, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Jesus said we'd have false prophets, did he not? Peter said you'll have false teachers. So why does it surprise us when we look around in the modern church and we've got false apostles, false prophets, and false teachers? Scripture told us it would be that way. So so we should we should understand that. At the same time, and listen to me closely. There always has been and there always will be people in the church who love the gifts more than the giver. They love the gifts more than the giver. This was true in the ministry of Jesus, John chapter six. Y'all know the story. Jesus has fed the five thousand. He he that night he he crosses the Sea of Galilee. The next morning, the people get up, and they're looking for him. Can't find him. And they're there. I mean, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? They get in boats and row several miles across the Sea of Galilee, finally make it to this town called Capernaum, and they find Jesus. They've been looking for him, and Jesus looks at them and says, let me tell you the truth. You're not looking for me because of the signs you see, what, what they should have done when they saw a man that turned five loaves and two fishes into, or five fishes and two loaves, whatever it was, into, fed all them people. You know what they should have said? They should have said, who is this? Who is this man? I, I, I want to find out who this man is. Jesus said, no, you just want your bellies filled. See, there's always pe- people that they don't care about, about the, him. They just want their bellies filled. There's some kind of need that, that it's excitement and allure, whatever the case may be. Here's what, here's my point this morning. There's always going to be people who misuse the truth and abuse the truth and counterfeit the truth that don't make it any less true. That don't make it any less true. So you and I, as we come to the, to, to Ephesians, what's clearly laid out in scripture, we got to be very careful on one hand, we can't step back and say, Oh no, I'm not going there. There's a lot of there's a lot of false stuff going on. Let's just stay away from it. That's throwing the baby out with the bathwater That that would be wrong On the other hand We can't run to the gifts and make them out to be something they were never intended to be Well, there's a there's a great story and this is how we need to be right here There's a great story in luke 17 of the of the 10 lepers, you know it Jesus comes into a, a village He's met by 10 lepers. They can't approach him because they've got leprosy and that's forbidden. So they're just hollering, mercy, 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 and and just making a big stink. And finally, Jesus looks over at them and he says, go show yourself to the priest because that was the law. If you had a skin disease and it cleared up, you had to go confirm it with the priest. And it says, as they went, they were cleansed. And then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God. And here's what I want you to see. 10 men that day, received a gift. Ten men that day got exactly what they wanted. And nine of them went on their way and never looked back because they didn't care where the gift came from. They just wanted the gift. They didn't want the giver. And, folks, let me tell you, unless something changed, those nine men just went into hell with clear skin. You understand that? They just went to hell with clear skin. Listen, but one. One turned back and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And Jesus said, rise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Some translations say your faith has saved you. Those men had, the nine had clear skin. This man had a clear uh, skin and a clear conscience. He was cleansed. Folks, this is what we got to do. We got to, we got to, it's not about the gifts. It's about him. It's about pushing past the gifts to find the giver. And this is what we're going to do in the months ahead. It's not about making the gifts the big thing. It's about finding out. In fact, we'll see uh, as we move through. One of the purposes of the gifts is so that we'll know Jesus more and we'll be like Jesus more. It's all about taking us to him. Now this morning, I want to give a little bit of context on this verse. Because we're doing something. uh, uh, I want you to understand what we're doing. I use this term. When you come into a certain verse or passage in Scripture, you are you're you're parachuting into the Bible, so to speak, and you're parachuting into the Book of Ephesians, and you're going down into Chapter Four, and you're only looking at six verses. So it's imperative that you see the context of those six verses, eleven through sixteen. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote thirteen letters in the New Testament. He wrote nine of them to churches. He wrote four to individuals, two to Timothy, one to Titus, one to Philemon. But nine of them he wrote to churches. And and Paul, if you know anything about Paul, he is a very structured and organized writer. Very. And all of his letters follow the same general pattern. He always begins the first half of the letter with what Christians should know. In other words, it's all doctrine, it's all theology, what, what God has done for you, what Christ has done for you. And when he finishes that, the second part of the letter, he, it's always about what Christians should do. In other words, now that you know what God has done for you, this is how you're to walk it out. This is how you are to apply it. This is how you are to practice the life of a Christian. Now, Ephesians is no exception to this. The first three chapters, and by the way, I would encourage you to go home today and read the first three chapters of Ephesians. Some of the greatest doctrine and theology you will ever read in your life. But you can see the change in focus as you come to chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says, therefore. In other words, in light of, of, of all the things that I've told you in those first three chapters. In, in light of all that God has done for you in Christ, he says, now walk worthy. Walk worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now, then he gives us just a few verses later, he gives us some really good news. That we, you and I have to go out in, in the world and live this Christian life. But God has not left us alone to do it on our own. Not only has he given the Holy Spirit, Paul says he's given us gifts. Look at verse 7 8. It says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Let me tell you what that's about. Uh, Paul here is referencing Psalm 68. That's a psalm of David, a psalm of conquest, where David has gone up to some city or kingdom. He has captured that kingdom. He set the captives free. He's gathered all the spoils. He comes back to Jerusalem and he gives it out to the people. And Paul is using that as analogy for Jesus. He's died. He's ascended into heaven. He set the captives free. And now he's given gifts to his people. That's what he's saying. Now, what are these gifts? This is what verse 11 is talking about. These are the gifts that he gives to the church. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. And what is the purpose of those gifts? We see that in verse 12. To equip the saints. Who is that? That's every single person sitting in the seat here this morning, as well as every single person sitting in seats in every other local church across America. To equip you, to equip me for the work of ministry. That word, by the way, just means serving. That's all it means. Serve God, serve others. For the building up of the body of Christ. Now, that's good, but here's the fruit. Look at the fruit that should come out of this until we all attain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love to one another. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Man, that is incredible. That is absolutely... Would you not want to be a part of a church like that? See, here's the thing, and you've got to understand this. God's design is for all of that to take place right here in the local church. Listen, when he wrote this, there's no internet. There's no TV. There's no, you can't just go home and say, well, I'm not going to church. I'm going to just turn on this guy and watch. No, no. All this is to happen in the local church. It was true then and it's true. It's true now. Now, listen, if I was to ask you this morning, what? As Christians, what should we do? I'm pretty sure if there's one thing we all know we should do is that is we are to go to church, right? I mean, you might say pray and you might say read the Bible and things like that, but we all know we're supposed to go to church. Hebrews ten twenty five says, "Don't neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some, but even more." By the way, that doesn't mean you have to meet more often. It means make it more a priority as the day as, as times get tough. As the day gets nearer, make it even more of a priority in your life that you go to church and meet together with fellow believers. We are commanded to do that, yet the exact opposite is happening in America today. The exact opposite is happening. That dark blue line on the far left is the year 2000. On the far right is the year 2022. That dark blue line at the top is the percentage of people who attend church every week. In the year 2000, that number was 35%. In other words, 35% of people said they attend church every week. In 2022, that number had dropped to 20%. And don't blame it on COVID. That's been going on for two decades. The opposite is the orange line. The orange line is the percent of people who never go to church. They don't go on Easter. They don't go on Christmas. They never go to church. In the year 2000, that number was 13%. That number today is is hovering around 31, 32 percent. Three out of ten people in America never, ever darken the doors of a church. Folks, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Something's happening. Now, I could give you a lot of reasons, okay? And if you want to know some, come up. But I want to focus on one, just one. I don't know if you know this or not, but there's a phenomenon going on in America today where believers, professing believers like you and I, are leaving the local church in favor of a house church or a home church. And and they say, if you ask them, well, why are you doing that? Why would you leave a body to go home and have... And they say, well, you know, you go back and you read the book of Acts and everybody met in their homes. And and it just seems like they, I, we want to get back to the roots of Christianity. Now, let me just say, <laughs> very quickly, there's a lot of problems with that. Um... First of all, have you re- ever read the book of Corinthians, which was house churches, and they were a mess? Where you meet and how many people, you still people, <laughs> right? That doesn't really change anything, but, but they would say in their mind, it's a better way to do church. Are you with me? Folks, let me just say one thing to that. We can do better. There's not a church in America that can't do better, but we can't do perfect. It's impossible. Can't be done. Reminds me of the story about Charles Spurgeon. He had one of his uh, uh, members come to him and just complaining about the church and complaining about the hypocrites and complaining. And Spurgeon finally looked at him and said, look, if you ever find a perfect church, please don't go there because you'll just screw it up. <laughs> there is no perfect church. So yeah, can we do better? Absolutely. Absolutely. Do churches have problems? Absolutely. But we, uh, we can never do perfect. Now, let me say a couple things about those that are doing home churches. And I know, I know some of these. I, first of all, I admire their zeal. I do admire the desire to do church right. I, I admire that. I admire the, the wanting to do better. And by the way, there are certainly benefits to meeting in homes. You've got less people, you've got more intimacy, you can have deeper fellowship. And that's why, by the way, we have small groups here at our church. There there are certainly benefits and we try to get those benefits uh, out of the small groups. But here's the thing, experience tells us there's only two ways that a home church can go. There's only two directions. You're either going to shrivel and die or you're going to thrive and grow. And guess what happens if you thrive and grow? All of a sudden, you're, you've outgrown your house. Now you're, oh, we've got to go rent a facility. And now there's money to be taken up and money to be accounted for and schedules to be made and organization. And one day you look up and you just became the thing you left. <laughs> I admire their zeal. I admire the desire to do it right. But that's not the answer. That's not the answer. You see we, we need to ask the question, why are you doing it what what 's really behind the fact that you would leave a local church and go meet in the home? Why would you do that? And let me tell you here 's the majority of them would say this they 're leaving local churches that are dysfunctional, disorganized, and full of discord all across america we 've got local churches that are disorganized, dysfunctional, and full of discord. in other words, they 're not stable they 're not mature. They're not unified, which, by the way, are three things that the fivefold ministry is meant to address. Amen. Did you not see it? And he gave the apostles and the, shepherd, uh, the prophets, the evangelists, shepherds, and teachers until we all attain to the unity of the faith, to mature manhood, and we no longer act like children. Unity, maturity, stability. Yeah. This morning, I want to leave you with three thoughts on the local church, just three what-ifs. Just three what ifs. Here's the first one. What if, what if churches decided to follow a biblical model of leadership? You see, when you open the Bible and you really begin to look at how the local church is to be organized from a, a leadership standpoint, it is clear, and I underline the word clear, That the local church is to be led by a plurality. That means more than one. It means several gifted men who are to share the responsibility of leading, feeding, and protecting the flock. That's that's as clear in the New Testament as anything you can find. Now, let me just say, for my guess is, I don't know how many people are here today, but my guess is every single one of you, grew up in a church or attended a church that was led by what? One man. Folks, that model, whether you like it or not, that model comes from tradition, not Scripture. Right. Yes. That is tradition. That is not Scripture. The scriptural model is that everything that needs to be done to lead and protect and care and feed the flock Pastoring, shepherding, teaching, preaching, evangelizing, overseeing is to be the responsibility of a group of men, not one. Let me give you just a couple of scriptures. I'm not going to give you all of them because of time, but let me give you 1 Peter 5, 1 and 2. Peter says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, shepherd the flock of God. He doesn't say I exhort the elder. I exhort the elders. Shepherd the flock of God. How about 1 Timothy five seventeen? Let the elders, plural, who rule well, be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So there's just two scriptures right there that tell us that a group of men, a plurality of men, are to be responsible for shepherding the church, preaching and teaching. And let me tell you, there's always, always more than one. Acts 14, 23, when they had appointed elders in every church. Acts twenty seventeen, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. James 5, 14, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. So the New Testament is clear. The, the local church is to be led by plural, plurality of godly men, yet most churches in America today are are centered around the ministry of one man. And folks, that man is 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 responsible for preaching and teaching and evangelizing and overseeing and administrating and admonishing and discipling and and disciplining and every other thing that goes on. Now, here's the problem. You cannot tell me, you'll never convince me that one man has the time to do it all. And you'll certainly never convince me that one man can be gifted to do it all. Right. There's no way. One man has got, has got all those gifts, really? See, I don't think he's got the time to do it. I don't think he's gifted to do it. Is it wonder that 91% of pastors have experienced some form of burnout in ministry? Is it any wonder that 70% of pastors battle depression? Is it any wonder that 50%, 50% of pastors are so discouraged that they would leave the ministry if they could find another job? Is it any wonder this next one should just, honestly, we've accepted this, what I'm going to show you next. We've just accepted it as par for the course. And it should make us ashamed. Almost 80% of pastors have been forced to resign from their church 63% it's happened to more than once. In a survey of 1,050 pastors, every single one of them, 100%, had a colleague who had left the ministry because of burnout, church conflict, or moral failure. And we think that's working? Do we really think it's working? What if? What if there's a better way? What if there's a New Testament model where a a local church, especially one the size of River of Life, is is led by a plurality of godly men? And these different men are gifted in different ways. It doesn't just fall on one man. But one man has the gift of apostleship or building or oversight. The next man has has the revelation or prophetic, the proclaiming of the word of God. There's an evangelist. There's a teacher. There's a shepherd. What if... Those are distributed across several men. What if there are some who build, some who reveal, some who reach, some who shepherd, and some who explain? What if the fruit of that is the church is built up? The church is unified. The church is mature. The church is no longer acting like children. The church is becoming more and more like Jesus. And every part, every part is doing its working properly. What if? Would you want to be a part of a church like that? I know I would. I know I would. What if? Here's my second one. What if? What if believers, people like you and me, what if we truly comprehended the nobility of the local church. See the fact is. Across America today. My guess is most people are doing their. They're doing their hour. I went to church. And. and and But it really doesn't mean that much to them. You know. I, I said earlier. That we all know we're supposed to go to church. That's a given. But do you ever just stop. And pause and think. Why? Do, do you ever. In, what's the purpose of what we're. What we're doing here I mentioned earlier that ephesians paul has a certain pattern first three chapters is theology I want to read you something that paul says and and by the way if I ask you For reasons, what's the purpose many of you would come up with good ones You'd say we're here to worship and you're right. We're here to fellowship. We're to disciple. We're to evangelize Those are all good reasons. Okay But folks, we need more than reasons. We need a vision we need more than just reasons to come. We need a vision of the greatness of what God has designed for the local church. Let me show you what that is. This is Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. Paul says this. He says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God? Now, let me just stop right there. Paul says, I've been given this gift. And this gift is to bring to light this plan or this mystery that's literally been hidden in God for ages. it's, It's never been made known. And Paul says, here it is. That through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to who? The rulers and authorities in heavenly places. By the way, that word manifold in the Greek means uh, y- y- uh, it means multicolored or variegated. You know, have you got variegated plants? It's multifaceted. In other words, the wisdom of God, the glory of God, the beauty of God, the, the power of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God might be made known not to unbelievers, but to rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now, folks, let me, can I be honest with you? I'm not 100% sure what that means. But I know it's more than an hour on Sunday. Yes. I know it's more than a tithe. I know it's more than a life group. I know it's more than a Bible study. I'm telling you, there, there is something about where, what we're a part of right here that we cannot even comprehend is going on. Yes. Let me tell you, years ago, True story. There was a man in this church, and he had decided to uproot his family and move them off somewhere to be part of a greater ministry than River of Life. And I remember myself and others sat this man down and talked to him and tried to talk him out of it. And I remember what I told him. I said this. I said, listen, there's no more Jesus over there than there is right here. There's no more spirit over there than there is right here. There's no more truth over there. There's no more purpose over there than there is right here. And he didn't listen. And he went off. And as far as I know, some 20 years later, as far as I know, that man is not in church. And as far as I know, he's not even serving God. Folks, listen to me. There is nothing more noble. There is nothing greater That you and I can be a part of on this life than right here. This is it. There's no greater ministry. The local church is what God has designed to equip you and build you and make you into what you need to be. Listen, some of you here are, 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 for example, I'm gonna give you an example real quick. Some of you here are struggling with your Bible. You're struggling reading your Bible. You're struggling understanding your Bible. You've struggled for years, but yet you've disregarded the very gift that Jesus has given the church to help you, which is the teacher. You don't come to Bible studies. You you said, I'll just do it on my own. You were never intended to do it on your own. Never. You can't do it on your own. You are to grow and, and be sanctified and mature. You are to do that within the local body. It is an incredible, incredible calling. What if? What if we just follow a scriptural model of leadership? What if the individual believers like you and I recognize the nobility of the church? Here's the last one. What if? What if we would commit ourselves to it? What if we would really make this more than just an hour on Sunday, more than a more than a, a life group, more than just a, a Bible study, more than just the things we do, but we would just really commit ourselves to this great calling? I was thinking the other day, and I'll close with this. I was thinking the other day that uh, when I was 40 years ago plus, I was single. And when I was single, I'd go where I wanted to go, and I'd do what I wanted to do, and i plan what I wanted to plan. And then I met this 16-year-old girl, and that completely changed everything. And it went from being about me to being about us. Of course, we got married, and then the children came along, and now grandchildren have come along. And one of the things I've seen in my life is, as time has gone by, it's become less and less and less about me and more and more and more about we. And folks, let me tell you, do, you all know this. Do you have to sometimes go places you'd rather not go? Yeah. Do you have to do things sometimes you'd rather not do? Yeah. Oh, but let me tell you, there's a dignity in it and a greatness in it, and a nobility in it, and a purpose in it. In the same way, there was a time you and I were unbelievers. And when we were unbelievers, we could think the way we wanted to think, do what we wanted to do, say what we wanted to say, go where we wanted to go. And then we met a man named Jesus. And that man changed everything. And it was no longer about me, it became about us. I was in union with him. In fact, Paul says in Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. And now all of a sudden, I I couldn't just go where I wanted to go and do what I wanted to do and say what I wanted to say and think what I wanted to think. It was all about what does does he want me to do? How, How does he want me to act? And listen, through him, I was introduced to brothers and sisters of mine. And one of the things I've found in my life as I've gone along in the church that it's no longer about me. It's about we. It's all about we. It's not just about living my life and, and, and being sanctified and made holy and more like Jesus. It's about making sure that you are. What can I do? What, what part do I feel? Let me tell you, we are headed to an incredible place. I am so excited. Not just for me, and not just for us, but for my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren. Because like I said, it's, we want to build something that's going to last. And starting this Wednesday night, we're going to dive right in. We're going to dive right in. And we're going to look right at, off the bat at apostles. And as, as I said earlier, you come, and I'll explain it to you. It's nothing, it ain't rocket science. Um, it's very clear what, what the apostles are and how they are to fit into the local church. So I want to invite you back Wednesday night, but I want to do more than that. I want to, I want to invite you to, to get aboard. I want to invite you to sign up. I want to invite you to commit yourself to the river of life like you never have before to become a part of something great and noble to become a part of doing. I mean, my goodness, who are we? Who are we that we get to be called the children of God? Who are we? We're nothing. And yet, like Paul said, I've been given this gift. Folks, let me tell you, if you are here at River of Life, you've been given a gift. You've been given a gift, and the gift is you get an opportunity to be a part of what God is doing, to to put on display his wisdom, his power, his glory. His majesty to the rulers and authorities in heaven. Is there anything greater that we can do in our lives? I'm going to ask Pastor Henry if he will come. And and as he comes, I'm just going to pray. Father, Lord, as always, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for just giving us a gift. God, for somehow choosing us 20, 25 years ago, you have moved and moved and moved. Even when we were dumb as a post, you you made things happen and moved us in a certain direction. And you brought us here to the precipice of a new model at River of Life. And God, I pray this morning as we move through carefully and slowly in the months to come. God, I pray that you would bless what we do. But Father, I pray this morning more than that. I pray that obviously that you would be over church leadership. You would be over the staff. That you would give us wisdom. But God, I pray that you would touch the heart of everyone here this morning. If there are those here this morning that's just kind of been hanging on. Just just on the periphery. God, would would this morning you do what only you do. And that is you just give us a kick and push us in. You give us the want to that we could never come up with on our own. Will you do that, Holy Spirit? Will you do that? And Father, I promise you, I promise you, as with everything else we do in the months ahead, we will give you the praise, and we'll give you the honor, and we'll give you the glory. In your precious Son's name we ask. Amen.
0: Thank you again for listening to this message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today or if you need someone to pray with, please contact us at 850-926-1200 or email us at info at com. We also want to encourage you to visit us this Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. Please visit us online at com for more information and directions.